one of the most profound events in church history, or in Christian history for that matter, isn't just the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Was Jesus virgin born? And what is the significance of the virgin birth of Jesus? Let's get real on that very question. Let's get real on the significance of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Shop to get myself a mocha. The lady at the counter said, Happy holidays. I said, Thanks, lady. I am pretty happy, but there's only one holiday that makes me feel that way. And you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Thank you for tuning in. You know, this this culture is actually going sideways right now. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but with all the excitement of the election, there's a few people out there testing the political correct rhetoric that it's out there. And of course, you know, over the last few years, people have been going saying, you know, happy holidays and everything. You know, the question is, what holiday are we talking about? Well, on the Let's Get Real podcast this week, we're going to get real about the real meaning behind the Christmas holiday, and that is the significance of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. That's right. Jesus was virgin born. You know, there's a lot of liberal preachers out there that don't believe that Jesus was virgin born because they don't believe in miracles. They don't believe the Bible. The Bible is a miraculous book. As I was sharing with a coworker the other day, that the cylinder of Cyrus was found, and that Cyrus is actually found by name over 180 years prior to Cyrus's birth in Isaiah 45. Now, you go and you look at that prophecy by name. Well, you know, there's another specific prophecy in the Old Testament that tells you where Jesus was born. And folks, it isn't as the Mormons say, it is in Bethlehem Ephrathah. Bethlehem, that's right, you can go and look on the map, and you can look in Israel, and you can see Bethlehem on the map. That's right, we're looking at the virgin birth. You know, with all the attacks on the New Testament over the last several years, you know, I thought I would share this material again, because we are in the time of year. Now, Before we go there, you know, many of the mythologies, as I shared with you about those mythologies a few weeks ago, they have their savior uh, virgin birth stories, I guess if you could say. And, but... But I want you to know that, again, those are nothing more than forgeries and that they're fabrications that have been well after even centuries from the prophecies and the about 100 to 200 years following the actual fulfillment of the historical events. Now, in either case, none of the mythology stories have a single shred of salvific content. Now, what I mean by that is the fact that if you go and you look at the birth of Jesus and why he came and who he is, and the fact of it being miraculous as far as a fulfillment of biblical prophecy... There is a salvific content in there, the fact that Jesus came to save us from our sins. Now, 
What I want you to think about is this whole idea about biblical prophecy. Now, there is no new prophecy today. I know friends that embrace the new apostolic reformation teachings about prophets and apostles. There are none. Of course, you know, there are no Nabi as far as the Old Testament Hebrew of prophet. There's no foretelling and there is no apostolic office today. But despite what many believe today, the religions and the religious leaders of the world are not the same. That's right, religious pluralization, as I tried to deal with the last few shows, the perennialism, the fact that there's an underlying thread of religious truth that is in every religion, that doesn't work even with the case with the virgin birth, because none of the major religions have a virgin birth story like Christianity does. You know, many people today do promote the ridiculous claim that Jesus was just another uh, religious leader, basically a good person who led a good life to make one's life better. But you know, the interesting thing is that, as I shared with you the last few weeks, Jesus is unique in so many respects. He's, he alone was a truly good person. He didn't commit sin. He lived that sinless life. Every other religious leader has been sinful and has, has been in need of a Savior, but Jesus did not need a Savior. He was the Savior. He came to save even those religious leaders who, would, who if they had placed their faith and trust in them, would really know what it means to experience the presence of God. But Jesus is the Savior. There are also no prophecies foretelling details about the birth of other religious leaders and no prophecies alerting the world, say, like the coming of Muhammad or uh, Joseph Smith of Mormonism or Charles Taze Russell for the, Joseph, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses or Siddhartha Gouda, uh, Gautama Buddha, not Gouda cheese, and any, or any other founder of the unique world religions that are out there. None of them. So when we look at the Old Testament, we, we see these pinpointed details about the life of the Son of God and the Savior of the world. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ was a fulfillment of supernatural prophecy, folks, that started in the Old Testament. Let me, let me give you an idea of some of the Old Testament prophecies. For example, in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, we see God's promise to make Israel a great nation. And what had happened in 1948? May 14th, 1948, David Ben-Gurion on the Temple Mount declared Israel's independence and Israel an independent nation. That's a fulfillment of prophecy. Genesis chapter 17, verses 19 to 21, God's promise that Sarah in her old age would bear Isaac. And that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, God's promise that Solomon would build the temple. And it wouldn't be David. David wanted to build the temple, but it, was, it would be Solomon that built the temple. Now, what would it mean to us as Christians if, say, God had failed to fulfill these prophecies? Well, let me give you three things. Number one, our beliefs as Christians essentially would be meaningless. Secondly, they, the very foundation of our faith would crumble, you know, not just the fact of the resurrection, 
But if, if one prophecy had, had not come true, the, the resurrection would be suspect, or even more suspect. It's not suspect, though, because even the resurrection was fulfilled. Thirdly, the, the word of God would not be reliable. And of course, I mentioned to you about the, the prophecy of the coming of Cyrus 180 years before he was even born. You know, you have fulfillments of biblical prophecy. So, a little note here about some direct and indirect prophecies of, about the virgin birth. What do the prophecies first and foremost tell us about who Jesus is? Well, number one, um, when we look at the first two chapters of, of Matthew, we see that God foretold the virgin birth conception of the Messiah, who would be, of course, born in Bethlehem, yet some way would come out of Egypt and be called a Nazarene. We also see the bitter agony, that bitter agony would grip the mothers in that area. Now, what that meant was the fact that Herod had gone and called for the deaths of all male children up to the age of two. But in the genealogy recorded in Matthew's first chapter, we discover the fulfillment of several other Old Testament prophecies. First and foremost, that Jesus was from the line of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. He's from the line of Isaac in Genesis chapter 6, I mean 26, verse 4, Jacob, 28, verse 14, same book, and Judah, Genesis 49, 8 through 12. And of course, we know that Jesus, one of Jesus' titles is the Lion of Judah, that he would be out of Jesse and David and Isaiah, out of Jesse and Isaiah 11, 1, and David and Isaiah 9 verse 6, uh, verse 6 and 7. And also we would see in Genesis 3.15, Jesus would be the one that would, would be the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head. In Isaiah 7.14, we see that there was going to be one who would come that would be virgin born. But there are those who reject the significance of this prophecy of it. You know, when you people when you look at the liberals out there and people who who call themselves modernists, they reject the doctrine of the virgin birth. I've met some pastors here in Virginia that reject the virgin birth because they do not because they don't want to accept Jesus's full deity, but more so, they want to reduce Jesus to little more than a great teacher. And if they were to accept the virgin birth, it would mean a requirement on their part to accept the fact that Jesus is uniquely God in human flesh. Now, what's all the beef about, though? You know, remember, where's the beef? You know, the, the, the commercial? Well, they are particularly critical, liberals that is, they're particularly critical of this Isaiah 714 passage. And in the Revised Standard Version of the Bible, Isaiah 714 reads as follows, quote, the Bible, uh, behold, a young woman would conceive and bear a son. Notice that it doesn't say the, the virgin would conceive. So, 
when you when you look at that, what is the RSV? Well, it's, you don't really see much of the Revised Standard Version today, but it was completed as by the Educational Division of the National Council of Churches. How does this accomplish their goal? Well, their basis for this cha- change is translating the word Hebrew word Alma. The translators of the RSV were religious liberals, and they were embracing modernism at that time. Now, their approach to biblical translation is no different from, say, like certain cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the Mormons, who choose to revise God's Word, and they render it how they want it to read. Now, what are our reasons for accepting the virgin birth of Jesus as valid and significant, of, of significant importance to the Christian faith? <clears throat> well, many outstanding Hebrew scholars support it as strongly as the Genesis creation record. Not only that, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, the, the word Alma actually is translated virgin. Now, these are, these are, are these good enough reasons to accept the virgin birth? Let me say for, up front and, and all of that, the word to the answer is no. You know, when you go and you look at it, well, the, the Septuagint translates it as Alma, and that's Greek, and that came later, you know. You know, I get it. You know, I, I get it. That's, that's not a problem. But here's the thing. The New Testament also supports the Old Testament prophecy translation of Alma as virgin. In Matthew 1, 23, uh, one, chapter 1 and verse 23, there is no question about the word here for virgin. It can only mean a woman who has never had physical relations with a man. From this eyewitness account of Matthew, the Holy Spirit inspired both Old Testament and New Testament writers, and he affirms that Jesus Christ was virgin-born. Is there any more reinforcement to this truth claim? And the answer to that question is, of course there is. The fulfillment of the virgin birth comes in looking at the biblical record. Jesus Christ was born without a human father. Let's take note of, of Matthew's account. In chapter 1, verse 16, of whom was born Jesus refers only to Mary alone. In 1.18, it says that before, referring to Joseph and Mary, before they came together, meaning before they had consummated their marriage physically. And then in, in Matthew 1.25, we see that Joseph knew her not. In other words, he did not know her physically uh, in, in a physical relationship consummated in marriage. So, you know, when you deal with the this, well, was Mary um, raped by another man to conceive a child? The answer to that is no. But all of these verses point to nothing but the virgin birth. For example, then, you know, when you look in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, we see the partial fulfillment of Genesis chapter 15, where in Genesis 3.15, it says the seed of the woman, and Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, actually Galatians 4.4, born of a woman, born under the law, made of a woman, you know, when you, when you look at that right there. Now, let's talk about this whole thing about the, uh, Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
If you consider the custom of marriage, the Jewish custom of marriage, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, the betrothal would compare with our engagement period only in a stronger commitment. There was an interval that existed before marriage was actually physically consummated. Note that it was during this interval that Mary had become pregnant. Joseph, the betrothed, who was considered legally Mary's husband, had two options. Number one, the script and the scriptures very are very clear with this. It says that he could have made a public example of her for her obvious infidelity, or he could privately put her away by a bill of divorce. However, Joseph had some help. Joseph had some help supplied by the Holy Spirit where with an explanation and a third option. Basically, marry the girl. Why? Why did he make this option? The scripture was pretty clear that both Mary and Joseph received the same message. Look at Luke's record in chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Mary couldn't understand that how she, a virgin, having known a man sexually, could conceive and bear a child, verse 34. When Gabriel showed up, the angel Gabriel told her that the Holy Ghost would bring this to be. Further, he assured her that with God, nothing is impossible. Do you believe that God can do that which is impossible? I do. That's called a miracle. Jesus' birth was miraculous. Okay? So, neither Mary nor Joseph questioned the message of God. The scripture clearly shows that Joseph did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and, and, and Mary said, may it be according to your word. So, what is the significance of all this? Well, is the virgin birth an essential doctrine to the Christian faith? To put it another way, can a person be a true believer in Christ and yet deny that he was virgin born? You know, some people might disagree with me on what I'm going to say about this. But you know, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, you cannot believe, you cannot reject the resurrection of Jesus and be redeemed. Well, folks, I'm of the same persuasion with the virgin birth. I have to give an emphatic no. And here's why. If one denies that Christ was virgin born, it is to deny the word of God being true. It means that one is denying that Jesus is also the Son of God. It is a denial that Jesus would die a sacrificial death, for that's why he came. And to say that Jesus was born strictly of human parents by human conception means that there is no characteristic of deity that would warrant him the right to become, or to, uh, that would warrant him not become because he was. It would give him no warrant or right for him to be the Son of God. So, the virgin birth has significant connections. What are those connections? Well, the doctrine of virgin birth is vitally connected with many other important Christian doctrines. If you look at John chapter 10, verses 31 to 38, we see, number one, the authenticity of the scriptures. 
Those who reject scripture and those who are liberal see the virgin birth as a, quote, symbol, end of quote, of Christ's uniqueness, and they deny that it happened literally. However, if scripture is not reliable in this area, folks, it cannot be trusted at all. Mary accepted God's word through the angel Gabriel, as did Joseph. What is the problem with our accepting the word of God? Number two, and finally... If you look at Baker's dictionary and where it defines miracles, it defines a miracle as an event in the external world brought about by the immediate agency or simple volition of God. It goes on to add that a miracle occurs to show that the power behind it is not limited to the laws of matter or mind as it interrupts fixed natural laws. So the term supernatural applies very accurately. Now when you look at the humanists out there and secular humanism in its essence, we see uh, that man is the center of the universe and the measure of all things. Humanism is a call to magnify man rather than God they are also Darwinian in their concept of nature, and therefore they refuse to accept the miraculous. However, we cannot view the virgin birth of Christ as normal development. Luke chapter 1, verse 37 tells us that, For with God nothing is impossible. The virgin birth brings to the forefront the appropriateness of Jesus' person. In fact, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 to 18 tells us that in order to redeem man, Jesus Christ had to become man. So the virgin birth plays a vital part of God's redemption plan. Jesus Christ, the Savior, was born into this world without sin. And we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that he, it says, He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange, you know, him giving us all of, our, all of his goodness, that he might take all his badness upon himself and redeem us from it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, we, say, we see that he did no sin, and Jesus was the Lamb of God without blemish or without spot, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. By the miracle of the virgin birth, the eternal Son of God was united with the human nature, and only through this union could redemption be accomplished. If he was born of, virgin, if he was born of human parents, there is no redemption. You have to have God and man in the mix in order for there to be redemption. Jesus Christ was begotten, not made, of the Holy Spirit in a miraculous manner, born of the Virgin Mary, as no other man has ever been born or can ever be born of a woman. He is both the Son of God and God the Son. Reason and science would tell us that this is a biological impossibility. But the Word of God makes it very clear that it had to be in order for us to have a Savior who could redeem us from sin. Once again, let me challenge you. If you are listening to us and you're skeptical of the virgin birth, where is your faith? 
Now, where is your faith? Meaning, what is faith? Faith is actually trust. It's not believing in something you can't see. It's not believing something without evidence, even though I know Webster's Dictionary gives some of those definitions, but those are not the true definitions of faith. Folks, faith is about trust. And your faith is is only as good in the object in which you are trusting. Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in your works? Or are you trusting in God? You see, that's the difference. That is the difference. My friends, when you think of this as um, uh, a challenge, I guess you could say, for with God, nothing is impossible. So as you celebrate the Christmas holiday season, there's something I want you to remember. I'm not sure if I mentioned it in the opening, but if I did, it bears worth repeating. If I didn't, and you haven't thought of this, then I want you to think about it now. One, you, you know what a paradox is. You know, you think of things like jumbo shrimp and, and all, you know, things like that. But did you ever think if Jesus is fully God and fully man, and God created man in his image and his likeness, the paradox of Christmas and the virgin birth is that the baby in the manger is the one uncaused cause who came down to our level and the baby in the manger created his mother. What a wonderful paradox. What a wonderful paradox even with salvation. The fact that God would love you and I so much to send his son for us to redeem us from our badness and give us his goodness. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And for us, you know, it is appointed for us to die and then face the judgment. But if we know that we're sinners, because it says that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, but the, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, that baby in the manger, the gift of God is Jesus Christ. And he is the just for us unjust in order to bring us to God. And he demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, he was willing to die for us. Folks, what are you placing your trust in? You can't do it on your own. You have to place your faith and trust in the baby in the manger who was born of a virgin who came to live a perfect life and redeem us from our sins. You've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. We've talked about the significance of the virgin birth. I know I probably did this a little last year, but around this time last year, but it's always bear, worth bearing repeating because, you know, it's always a good reminder with where our culture is going. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this, that when my lights are turned out permanently, and I breathe my last, I'm going to be in the presence of God. And I want you to 
know that for certain for you as well. So if you do have any questions, you can email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com or you can go to our website. I've got three pages with contact where you can go and you can click on my information, contact, or even our donate if you'd like to make a donation. It also has a contact section where you can send us a question. We would love to answer your question. I would love to you I'd love to hear about your your conversion testimony, but I would also ask you that if you are just listening to this podcast for the first time, please subscribe to us. Tell others about the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. We're going to be talking about some heavy duty stuff. Next week I may be dealing with the whole idea of engaging the secular city and and dealing with the fact of whether or not um, how how we as Christians need to engage with any changes that are on the horizon. I'll, I'll have something for us next week, but in the meantime, you know, we're going to have the Christmas holiday and we'll be encroaching on the tail end of the year with our Let's Get Real podcast. You know, we've gone and changed the name from the Real Issue podcast to Let's Get Real, and we've been getting real on some really good issues. If you have any questions that you would like to send our way for us to get real on, we would love to hear from you on that as well. You can also send those to Real Issue Apologetics at yahoo.com. Until next week, as you get ready for the holiday season, as you get ready for Christmas, that's right, Christmas, if you get ready for Christmas, folks, be bold, be loving, don't be a jerk, be gracious. But as you do share, and I pray that you do, I pray that you, you stand your ground and you hold down the gauntlet. But as you do, go out and give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless. Christmas with the capital C.
I say you gotta say Merry Christmas Cause it is If you don't believe in it, fine But I, I have a flag for you Christianity happens to be the religious heritage of my country Whether you like it or not It's called Christmas So if you're not a Christian or you don't like it And you don't want Christmas celebrated God bless you But let me tell you something If you think you're gonna stop me from saying it because it offends you Hey, I got flies for you Put a helmet on It's my country too It's called Christmas with the 